Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. This is Baxty Future. It's been a while since I dropped a podcast. I, I realized today, wow, like how, how long has it been? Like two weeks, three weeks? I felt pretty bad. <laughs> but the good news is a lot has changed. And so today I want to talk about all these new GPT-3-like competitors which are coming out of the woodworks. And it's, it's sort of accelerated really fast. Like I, I think over the past... Uh, two, three months or so, we went from GPT-3 being sort of the only game in town to all these other ones coming out of the woodworks. Uh, but before I get there, I, I just wanted to chat briefly about the podcast in general. Um, I decided last week that I want to reduce the length of the podcast and also just reduce the number of topics per podcast. So before I would do like two or three topics in a row and publish a podcast, maybe like 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes, something like that. I've decided for my own sake, for editorial reasons and scheduling and all that other stuff, uh, from going forward, I think what I'll likely do is just make a single podcast about a single topic and release it. Um, this just makes it a lot easier for me. And from your perspective, you'll be able to listen to the podcast in a bite-sized way. And I'm also thinking because these will be more bite-sized podcasts, which I can just record really quickly, stay on topic. Um, it'll be a very focused kind of discussion. Um, it, it will just lead to me uploading more podcasts more often. <laughs> and so, uh, it, I think it'll just make it a whole lot easier for me to manage and more likely to update and stuff more bite size for you. I hope it works. Let me know if it's an issue. Part of the other thing, like just editorially and production wise is, uh, in this podcast, it's just me, right? Uh, I'm talking to myself by myself. And so I also think, uh, listening to a podcast where one person goes through three topics in a row, it may actually be a little bit exhausting because there's no back and forth discussion with somebody else, right? It's not like, so I mean, the typical podcast format is like two journalists, one serious one and one funny one, <laughs> right? And together they just have some light chit chat. They go back and forth. They may agree. They may disagree on a lot of things. One guy or girl has like really funny hot takes. The other person is, you know, very serious and has like a more sarcastic sense of humor, right? And so like, anyways, in that format, yeah, I could totally understand going through three, going through six topics, maybe crowdsourcing some different opinions, getting different angles. But for this one, I mean, the podcast, I mean, I may have guests in the future, but for now, I think just this bite-sized format is more suited even, even just to the fact that it's just me. So anyways, I hope it's okay. So let's jump in uh, to, to, to the to today's topic, which is just increased OpenAI GPT-3 competition. Um, so over the past few weeks, we've seen Cohere.ai, which is a Toronto based company, uh, launch their basically GPT-3 competitor. Uh, we've also seen Google at their big event talk about two models. Uh, one is, uh, MUM, M-U-M. Another is called Lambda. Uh, one of them is multimodal. I can't remember which one. <laughs> I think it might be mum. Um, and even today, uh, GPT Neo announced um, a 6 billion parameter model that they're releasing open source. Um, and this is in addition to the GPT Neo model they, they announced maybe a month month ago, which has uh, a, f a fewer parameter count. And so let's let's start with Cohere. So I have their website open. 
the website says cohere.ai we help computers understand language it's one api billions of parameters unlimited uses that's what their website says they don't they don't specify how many parameters right like so gpt3 davinci the, the specific davinci engine which is the best one it has 175 billion parameters i'm not sure how many parameters cohere has um and you know maybe maybe they have fewer parameters but their training approach is different their architecture is different their training data it's higher quality uh to be honest they don't really talk about it uh the cohere api provides access to models that read billions of web pages and learn to understand the meaning sentiment and intent of the word we use uh-huh so there's sort of they have three overarching i guess modules and stuff in the api so the first is compose so use the cohere api to write human-like text by completing a prompt or filling in the blanks you can write copy generate code summarize text and more neat they have a comprehend sort of side to the api so it can compute the likelihood of text and retrieve representations from the model you can you can use it to filter text based on chosen categories or selected criteria you can also train your own downstream models on a wide variety of domain-specific natural language tasks. Not sure I get the point of that one. <laughs> Compose makes sense. Like, it's basically kind of like GPT-3. You give it text, it fills in the rest, right? Comprehend, compute the likelihood of text, and retrieve representations from the model. Uh, you can train your own... I think I'm going to come back to this one. Uh, and they also have a compare part of the API, which is like computing the similarity between pieces of text and making categorical predictions by comparing the likelihood of different text options. Um, neat. Uh, again, I, I, I don't know how it compares. I, I did talk to somebody who, who has access to Cohere and uh, just sort of based on their usage of it, they told me that it it's pretty much on par with DaVinci. Uh, it has similar vibes, so maybe there is some strong competition there. At the same time, uh, I believe Cohere also launched with a fine-tuning API. So that's something that the GPT-3 OpenAI API doesn't have currently. So, yeah, real, real credible threat. Uh, uh, me personally, like until I use it, I can't know. I got to use it and sort of get a sense because I, I think I have a good sense of what GPT-3 might do and act like what's sort of within its scope, what what's not, what can it do, what can't it do. And so I would need to use Cohere before I can get an opinion on it, whether it's comparable to DaVinci. Um, I'm also just interested in, in other things, right? So what's the cost? Is it the same as OpenAI? Is it, a bit, is it less? Uh, because even if Cohere isn't as good as GPT-3's DaVinci, if it's like 10 times cheaper, uh, I can see a lot of people being more willing to choose it and live with that trade-off. Um, at the same time, I'm also just interested in them as a company. Um, I, I, I do think hosting these kinds of models is a really costly kind of thing, right? Like, especially when it comes to inference and also getting fast responses back to people, uh, to, to users called making requests on the API. I, you know, I would commend OpenAI. I think they've done a great job like scaling up GPT-3 and handling those incoming requests. I don't know like what's Cohere's plan to deal with inference. 
And also financially too, like I imagine it's really costly to run that language model if it's at the scale of, of GPT-3 DaVinci, right? Um, and so, yeah, they're a startup. I, I think, you know, you should give them, a, give them a shot, give them a chance. But for like the long term, <laughs> you know, I just think OpenAI may actually be better funded, right? Um, and I, I would say more mature as an organization. So, I mean, it depends on your use case, right? Startup versus enterprise and and all these other things. Uh, let me see what else is on their website. So responsibility, develop safer language models. Awesome. Safety first. Uh, I think that's a great approach. Uh, their process. There's some marketing speak. Our responsibility principles. Uh, okay. These are some pretty cool principles. Accountability. Um, cool uh, i guess i guess you know usage guidelines yeah they had some good some good usage guidelines i think they they you know they, they very clearly laid out some safety stuff uh which i think is awesome uh, uh team is stacked uh, a lot of people toronto area uh heavy hitters uh pretty cool um so I guess, I guess the last thing that I did notice on the Cohere website is getting access. And so I don't know why, but like they have this really long and confusing waitlist form and it's the same style of form that OpenAI used. I feel like Cohere almost just looked at OpenAI and said, let's copy it. Let's do the same kind of form, except make it 10 times more confusing. <laughs> like you basically have to be a member of the GPT-3 beta to even understand <laughs> what that form is asking. Like it wants you to have such a good idea of what the model can do technologically. And they're asking you about, you know, how will you keep it? How will you deal with safety and all those other things? You're asking so much up front. Um, like, I don't know why they did that, uh, because I, frankly, OpenAI doesn't even do a good job on their sort of wait list and that whole like public side of the, of the, of the process. Right. I, you know, I made videos on getting access, you know, clubhouse events, like why I think it could be a lot better, a lot more for people who don't know anything about AI. Uh, if they're interested, it's these kinds of things really scare people off. <laughs> right. And so I don't know, it's a work in process. Cohere is new. Hopefully they'll get rid of that awful waitlist form or make something which ordinary people can understand and fill out. And some of the safety stuff, I get it. You want to ask it up front, but you can always, you know, teach people later, right? Or you can just get their commitment up front that, you know, you'll do a good job. You'll try your best. You're thinking about ethics, right? And then later, you know, you can really sort of, once they've used the model, understand the technology, then you can, you know, teach them about some ideas like human in the loop, right? But anyways, yeah, shout out to Cohere, uh, you know, congrats on the launch, uh, wish you success. You know, I think, uh, maybe this, this space. So, so definitely one thing about this Cohere and all the other, uh, companies coming in with their own GPT-3 competitors is, um, I think it does add a lot of validation to this space. Like I do think the space is heating up, uh, especially Google putting it, creating their own models and stuff. <clears throat> Uh, it adds a very big corporate sort of, you know, Silicon Valley emphasis and focus in this area of large scale language models, multimodal models. And I think it just makes people take GPT-3 and all these other things a lot more seriously, 
right? And also, I think competition is good. You know, maybe we can get the cost of these language models down at the same time, make them far more effective. You know, let's scale up the parameters. Let's get to let's get to a trillion. Let's get to 100 trillion, right? Let's, you know, like, let's invest in hardware uh, to, to be able to train and do inference of these models, right? And and so, by the way, like, I, I put out a post on my Substack, backseatfuture.substack.com, about NVIDIA and, you know, they had a conference where, uh, the, the CEO goes by Leatherman. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> uh, he, he was talking about GPT three and scaling it up. And his estimate was, I think by 2021, like they should be easily be able to do like 6 trillion parameters. Right. Uh, so like they, they should be able to exceed, um, uh, GPT three scale by like spring next year. Sorry, spring 20 by spring 2022, excuse me, by spring 2022 trillions of parameters. I don't even remember how much. I, maybe it wasn't quite six trillion. I gotta, I gotta check my own Substack piece about it. <laughs> and, but anyways, like, um, all these things add validation, right? Google jumping in, validation. Nvidia talking about it at their keynote, validation for the whole industry. That that the, maybe the whole industry is heading in this direction and getting excited about things like GPT three and multimodal models. Cohere stepping up, I think is cool. I think, you know, you have a more of an outsider kind of, you know, almost maybe, maybe a David and Goliath story, quote unquote, where open AI is maybe Goliath, maybe. And, you know, Cohere is the sort of younger, scrappier team, uh, different funded differently. Uh, you know, they sort of partnered with another startup here in Toronto to, uh, so they had sort of like a, I guess more of an enterprise customer right out the gate. Um, and so anyways, like, all these things are validation. I think it's creating a market space. There'll be further competition. And, you know, there are other uh, machine learning hardware companies, like really, really trying to make better chips for, for language models as well. Uh, and, and multimodal models, like the whole process, like training and inference. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one I, I uh, Cerebris was one that, that I follow on Twitter that is really looking into this area. So shout out to them. Uh, now I'm going to talk about the Google models. So I see Lambda, our breakthrough conversation technology. Uh, we've always had a soft spot for language at Google. Early on, we set out to translate the web. More recently, we've invented machine learning techniques that help us grasp the intent of search queries. Cool story, bro. But there's always room for improvement. Language is remarkably nuanced and adaptable. Lambda, our latest research technology, adds pieces to one of the most tantalizing sections of that puzzle, conversation. While conversations tend to revolve around specific topics, their open-ended nature means they can start in one place and end up somewhere completely different. Uh, the Lambda conversation skills have been years in the making. Like many recent language models, including BERT and GPT-3, it's built on Transformer, a neural network architecture that Google Research invented and open-sourced in 2017. Unlike most other language models, Lambda was trained on dialogue. During its training, it picked up on several of the nuances that distinguish open-ended conversation from other signs of language. One of these nuances is sensibleness. Basically, does the response to a given conversational context make sense? Uh, for example, if someone says, I just started taking guitar lessons, you might expect another person to respond with something like, how exciting. My mom has a vintage Martin that she loves to play. Uh, let's keep going. Something about responsibility, their AI principles, <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, they talk about like, that's why we build an open source resources that researchers can use to analyze models in the data on which they're trained. Uh, cool. So look, I, if, so I'm reading the webpage, I encourage you to watch the demo they gave. I think Lambda was used, um, to, uh, uh, like, I think maybe the, it was like you, the person was talking to lambda pretending to be pluto and so they were having a conversation with the planet pluto and honestly if you're from the gpt3 world if you've used it before like it's nothing new for you this type of conversation with a planet is nothing new for us right like gpt3 could absolutely act like pluto this is nothing exciting you could have done that last summer right and i just was like okay so google is like they're doing their own conference and showing this as if this is like a new thing. <laughs> right. And that they've kind of discovered. And it's like, no, like this is nothing new. This has been done before. GPT three can also do it. Um, and again, I got maybe, you know, it, it probably is a completely different model and it's trained differently. They probably have more conversational data, but you know, I'm also interested just in pure specs, right? Like, uh, parameters. I'm also interested in, uh, Okay, fine. So there's, you know, you made it for conversational. How many characters are we talking about, right? So GPT-3 can only handle 2,048 characters total, right? And so the context has to fit within those 2,048 characters for the prompts. What what about this stuff, right? Lambda, are we talking 10,000, 20,000? So if I said something way back, like seven minutes ago, like 10,000 characters ago, will it still pick up on, on that previous stuff and respond contextually correctly? in a nuanced kind of way, like they're talking about, right? Um, I'd love to see it, prove it. <laughs> I, I don't know. And I don't see the numbers. And so I don't know, like I, 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 when I get to try it, I'll know it, or at least until I see numbers in the meantime, I, I don't fully buy it, right? And of course their objectives are different, right? Like I, I think with Lambda, um, it's more for their own internal usage, right? Uh, it's not necessarily like GPT-3, which is meant for developers. And so uh, who's to say, like maybe their internal goals are just are just different, right? And they have different needs. But at the same time, like I, I don't know if it's quite apples to apples if you're comparing it to GPT-3, right? Uh, let's, ho let's hop over to the other model, M-U-M, MUM. A new AI milestone for understanding information. And and real quick, so if if you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to listen to my other podcasts where I go on these long rants about how we've named everything incorrectly. Lambda, really dumb name, right? And if, if you're a project manager at Google, I, like I explicitly want you to know you are welcome to the club of AI researchers who have named things in really dumb ways, right? You can join GPT-3, you can join the whole prompt engineering episode, which I made about why prompt engineering is also a bad name. Lambda, dumb name, right? Like there's an AWS service that has the same name <laughs> and you just like, you're also gonna do Lambda. On top of that, Lambda is like a, I believe it's like a Python thing, like a Lambda function. Anyways, awful. And then MUM, M-U-M, a new AI milestone for understanding information. We will also add this to the list of dumb AI names. I don't know what it is with our industry, especially the AI language model, multimodal space. We will not spend 10 minutes on coming up with a good name, right? At all. 
mom like it's got like some gender already associated in a way to it like i don't know man it's and it mom it sounds stupid like it's i, I don't know what i don't know don't get me started um anyway so mom is the other model and i guess i i think this is the multimodal one uh transformer architecture 1000 times more powerful understands language generates it uh trained across multiple languages, which is cool. Yes, and mom is multimodal, so it understands information across text and images, and in the future can expand to more modalities like video and audio. Um, watching the conference where they talked about mom was really cool, even including a definition of multimodal. As somebody who started a podcast called Multimodal, it was really validating to me. I felt like, wow, like maybe this multimodal stuff is really going mainstream, right? And all the big tech companies, all the different tech hardware companies, they're all sort of circling in on, on the opportunity for multimodal models. This is why I started the podcast in the first place. Um, anyway, so they gave some examples and, uh, I believe mom Sundar mentioned briefly in the conference that, uh, they, they do plan on maybe opening it up for enterprise and developers. And so if, if that's true, I believe, don't quote me on that. I think that's what I heard. Um, that's pretty exciting, right? So we'll have Google, OpenAI, Co here, um, and and you know next I'll be talking about the stuff that Eleuther AI is doing with GPT Neo, which so, you'll, so we'll have a big player, we'll have OpenAI, which is sort of in the middle. You'll have a smaller player, and you'll have an open source competitor as well, right? So you, sort of that's sort of the competitive landscape that we're starting to see. Um, in addition, we may see some kind of saturation, right? Like we may see more competitors show up. This is how many have showed up in the last few months. Maybe by the end of the year, it'll be even more, maybe 10, maybe next year it'll be 50. It'll be so saturated. <laughs> like getting a model like GPT-3 DaVinci will not even be a challenge. It won't be so exclusive. Like everyone may just be able to boot, boot it up and, and get it going. I, I've personally always believed that these models may actually become uh, very commoditized. And, you know, maybe in 10 years, you may be able to spin up something like GPT-3 and train it and run the inference from your own computer, right? Assuming all these things like hardware improvements, assuming we understand more about the transformer architecture, we understand more about the underlying scaling laws, like why does more parameters actually uh, lead to better results. And maybe we can have like really optimized training data sets where you could train something with that many parameters with future kinds of computer hardware with the optimal kind of training data that model would need. And so you could have your own self-hosted version of GPT-3 DaVinci or greater. Um, anyway, so that's really exciting. Shout out to mom. Uh, shout out to uh, Google for uh, making multimodal mainstream. Um, you know, if you have friends who are like, oh, that multimodal stuff, that's pretty interesting. You know, I hope you know by now what podcast to recommend to them. <laughs> uh, anyways, that was really exciting. And just as an aside, like, I just want to say, like, it's so exciting to like, like GPT-3 was something that I would tell people about even in tech last year. And they didn't know, they didn't care. And like, you had to be like one of those nerds who's like, like a super fan and super excited. And you talk to all your other, 
you know, super nerds, super friends on the internet who are also excited and the rest of the world just doesn't get it, right? And so the most exciting thing, that was last year, the most exciting thing about this year is GPT-3 really is starting to go mainstream. You know, uh, that was that was the name of the Substack piece that I was talking about earlier. To hear GP, just even the word GPT-3 come out of the NVIDIA CEO's mouth that's pretty validating, right? More people in the mainstream will now know about GPT-3. It's on their radar. Same with Sundar today, or not today, but this month talking about, uh, this month, last month, whatever, Sundar talking about GPT-3, talking about multimodal models. For me, it's just exciting and also crazy to go from something within a year that is sort of niche that is, is uh, you, you, you know, you just had to be there. You had to just be excited and everyone was equally excited to something which, you know, very mainstream people in tech and the rest of the world, they now know about it. Uh, I just found that very validating. It's kind of just crazy for, for, to see that transition. One year, nobody knows. The next year, people are starting to know. People who, who would have, wouldn't have otherwise heard about it. Um, and it's very validating. Anyways, let's go to GPT Neo. Uh, uh, Aaron, who's like, a you know, somebody who, who, uh, is a community member of Luther AI does a lot of their multimodal as well as language model training. I'll, I'll include the link to his tweet below and, and the links to all these different models in the, in the show notes or video YouTube video description. Uh, he announced yesterday that Ben and I have released GPT J 6 billion J a X based transformer LM performs on par with 6.7 billion GPT three performs better and decodes faster than GPT Neo. And they've uploaded the repository, the Google Colab and the free web demo. Uh, so I believe they're suggesting it's on par with the GPT three engine curry, um, which is really exciting, right? Like curry is, is a model that you would have had to otherwise pay for to access from the API. Uh, you would need access to OpenAI's API. Uh, now it's there. Uh, and, I, I haven't I haven't quite used it and compared it side by side with with GPT three's version, but it it seems promising. Um, and you know this is within the short period. I think it's only been a few weeks in between GPT Neo and GPT J. I wonder how far they are from GPT three Da Vinci. And uh, you know it is worth uh, suggesting and questioning now. Like what is OpenAI's competitive plan, right? If if something like GPT Da Vinci truly does uh, GPT-3 DaVinci does become open source and public, you know, what's their plan to compete or make money? Uh, maybe in a future episode, I will talk about what I think they, they might do. Uh, I have some ideas of what I would do. Um, <laughs> the short answer is I just, I think, I think the answer when open source catches up is you do bigger scale ups, right? So open source caught up to 175 billion parameters. You show up with, with 1 trillion parameters, <laughs> right? And, you know, the whole competition thing with all these companies stepping in and, you know, maybe more hardware emphasis from NVIDIA and other hardware companies as well. It's worth asking, is this some kind of arms race, right? Um, and like this arms race stuff, you know, you just, you just have to show up with a bigger stick than the next guy, <laughs> right? But I mean, that's the short answer. I also think, you know, OpenAI does a lot more, right? Like, you know, safety, they have different uh, API offerings. Um, they have a, you know, community, like there's other things that 
do still make them competitive. I'm not saying it's over. I'm, you know, I'm pretty, if I had to say it, I'm pretty long OpenAI. But I guess the point that I'm just making is the more competition and especially the more open source uh, competition that is competing at the same technical levels of what you're offering, it does turn the heat up a bit on on, on the company, right? And, and what they're going to do, how they're going to compete, what the plan is. Um, in any case, so... Uh, that's a summary of all the recent activity going on. I'm going to include the links in the description. The heat is turning up. Things are becoming more mainstream. You know, I, I couldn't have dreamed about as somebody using GPT-3 last year that I may actually have multiple options to choose from, <laughs> right? Do I feel like using Cohere for this or do I feel like using GPT-3? If I'm using GPT-3, am I going to use DaVinci or Curry or Babbage? What, what, what's, what do I feel like? What's the weather like today? <laughs> right? Oh, Google's coming in. Uh, and so that's really exciting. My only thing with Google, uh, I, I, you know, I'm sorry if I'm dragging on, but my thing with Google is, uh, I really like for a company that big that can spin up something like GPT three, no problem. I just assume they have infinite resources and GPUs and talent to do it. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't see any results, right? Like, like I should be able to use their version of mom and Lambda today and try it and let you know how it compares to, to GPT-3. And for me, as somebody in the tech industry, I always do see it as a as like a tell. If you don't show up with results, if you don't show up with a demo that I can use, sign up for today, it does seem like you're kind of bluffing. And so I guess my last point is I'll know it when I, when I see it, when I see some real results, when I try it. And, you know, let's, let's really... Uh, uh, let's really, ha really have some courage here. Put up the specs. Put up the specs. All these models. Go here. Put up the specs. Right? How many parameters are we talking about here? Right? Tell me about the characteristics of the training data. Let you know. You guys want to compete? Let's let's put up the numbers. Right? Um, and you know all the other stuff like how much compute power did it take? Uh, those kinds of things. Um, and and let's let's do an apples to apples comparison with GPT three. And let's keep driving up the competition and the innovation, all these competitors together um, uh, to, to, to sort of get the, the kinds of language model and multimodal models that we want. Uh, and so anyways, really exciting. I'm really energized. Um, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you have your podcast notifications on so you get notified whenever I drop a new episode. Uh, this podcast is on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts. Um, it's on my YouTube channel, bakzt.future. Uh, you can check out my newsletter, bakztfuture.substack.com. I share a lot of interesting ideas on there. So sometimes a lot of the stuff that I post on there... I don't even talk about on the podcast. And so uh, if you're interested in what I have to say about a lot of GPT-3 and multimodal stuff, I encourage you to subscribe to my newsletter as well. What else do I have going on? Um, yeah, in, in, in a future episode, I'll, I'll talk about my, my my next YouTube series, which I've been heads down focused on for the last couple months and and just share how it's how it's coming along. So anyways, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day, night, evening, whatever, wherever you are. Thank you. Bye.